We tend to get involved on the compensation discussions because we feel strongly that um, companies, management teams of companies should not be making outsized profits when shareholders are not making outsized returns. Um, the two should be correlated. Join us on WealthTrack for a reassessment of mega cap tech stocks with leading growth fund manager Margaret Vitrano. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, First Eagle Investment Management, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Call it a high-class problem, or in this case, a bull market problem. What to do with the dominant position mega-cap tech stocks have in most of our stock portfolios? It is a particular challenge for growth fund managers because that's where the growth and performance has been for the last decade. This week's guest and her team met that challenge by reducing some significant winning positions and actually closing out a big one last year. Understanding why she did it and how she feels about it now can help the rest of us who face similar decisions. She is Margaret Vitrano, co-portfolio manager since 2012 of the high-performing ClearBridge Large Cap Growth Fund. The $20 billion fund has earned an overall bronze medalist analyst rating from Morningstar for its, quote, skilled co-managers who adeptly execute a patient quality approach. And according to Morningstar, the fund has beaten the vast majority of its large cap peers over the years until just recently, which we will address. Another distinction, the fund was an Investor Business Daily's 2021 award winner for beating the S&P 500 over the trailing three, five, and 10-year periods. Vetrano has also been named to the Barron's list of 100 most influential women in U.S. finance for two years in a row. ClearBridge is a WealthTrack sponsor, but we won't hold that against her. In 2020, Vitrano and her team sold their entire Alphabet position, that of course is Google, and cut back their stakes in Microsoft and Apple, moves which have hurt their performance since. I asked her why they made those sell decisions. That may seem like a bold move to, to do, and, and it felt like a bold move at the time, but I would say that our, our index that we compete with, that we benchmark ourselves against, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, is a bold index. Um, Microsoft and Apple are both about 10% of the index, Google 6% of the index. And so for us, as we try to manage a diversified portfolio, and we want some of the internet companies, but we also want some Adobe, and we want some security companies, and we want some beverage companies, tech has really crowded out many of the other sectors of the index. And so we were forced to make a decision of, you know, Pick, pick one or two that you really want to go overweight and hold those and, and eliminate the others so that you can free up the rest of the portfolio to be diversified. So really, the, the decision to sell Google was more about diversification and portfolio construction more than anything negative about, about Google per se. We, we have been surprised at how well the company's executed over the last year. Certainly it's been a mistake. This company's been a good performer, but I think through the business cycle that that diversification is really what helps the portfolio perform. And I was actually gonna ask you in, in retrospect, um, yeah. it did hurt your performance. And I might add, when I'm saying it hurt your performance, I mean, give me a break. In what, 2020, you were up, what, 30% or something? and. In year to date, you're up, you know, in double, strong double digits. So it's not like you're really hurting, but in comparison to your benchmark, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, you know, you're you're, you're lagging a little bit. So mm -hmm. in, in retrospect, how do you feel about those decisions? 
Well, it, you know, in retrospect, I think as an investor, you're always looking back at, at performance and trying to figure out how you could do better. And we consciously chose Google um, and, and kept, on, kept our Facebook position because Google has historically always invested heavily in R&D. That's part of their success, that they keep investing back into their business. And right. so from our perspective, digital advertising had been doing really well, but we thought they're gonna step up investments into some of these newer businesses to, to keep it going. And gosh, were we wrong. I mean, operating margins are up 500 basis points, more than 500 basis points over the past year. And that that's really been the surprise and I think the key to the outperformance uh, versus what we expected. So where did you reinvest? So you took those funds and again, diversification was a was a major reason for doing that. Yeah. So where did you reinvest the funds? Those Google proceeds went into early cycle recovery plays, semiconductors and consumer discretionary. So we added NXPI, we added ASML, we added Ulta, the, the beauty company, and we added mm -hmm. Tractor Supply all in the second half of, of 2020 and early 2021 to try to take advantage of that those early cycle recovery names. And, and did those work? They have worked quite well. Yeah. I mean, semiconductors have been um, have have been on a tear, <laughs> right? Um, because because of the the recovery in the economy and because some shortages have enabled those companies to um, to to increase pricing a little bit. So and and you look at a company like Ulta that has also been on a tear, um, partially because consumers are in such good shape, but Ulta was was really interesting because from our perspective, um, we were looking for names that were going to be better situated post-pandemic. And the, the neat thing about Ulta is um, because so many department stores closed or, or closed some of their stores, mm -hmm. um, Ulta actually had share gains to benefit from um, coming out of the pandemic. And that's, that's really helped them. Diversification uh, in the ClearBridge large cap growth fund is important within the growth the, mm -hmm. uh, that asset class. So talk to us about what the three buckets are and, and how you position them and, and what they do in the portfolio. The, the buckets approach for us is, is a way of helping us not just say, gosh, do you want to own Ulta? But think about how is it fitting with everything else that you own right. in the portfolio? And, and the view is that if we can have a diversified portfolio, even though we only have 40 to 50 names, it will help us perform well in different kinds of markets. So, you know, in the market where you just have momentum winning, we should do okay. If you have a value recovery, we have some of those names too. And so the, the point is that we want to try to compound nicely through the business cycle in, in different kinds of markets. Um, and, and in fact, you know, one of the reasons that uh, that Morningstar rates you so highly is that in fact that has worked, right? Yeah. Is that that in, in the, your downside capture in down markets, you don't go down as much as yes. your benchmark and in, in up markets, you perform well. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the, the core of the portfolio is what we call the stable bucket. Um, yes. Those are good quality compounders. Think um, Home Depot, United Healthcare, good quality companies that tend to do just a little bit better than the market because they're holding or gaining market share. And then we have what we, we call our cyclical bucket. And those are companies, we, we define it as companies with revenue or profits that are depressed for reasons we think are fixable. Disney is a great example of that right now because obviously the theme parks are depressed <laughs> because they're, they're not at full capacity. Right. Um, but there's nothing wrong with Disney. Once we get through this pandemic, I think Disney's theme parks will, will do a great job of, of generating free cash flow. Um, and that's a great example of, of a name that 
we can own in the growth portfolio as this cyclical bucket. Um, it's a little bit different than a typical growth manager might own, and that gives us some diversification. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got our select bucket, and that is what I would call more typical higher growth, higher momentum companies, Amazon, companies with nice secular tailwinds, they're in investment mode, they, they've clearly worked over the last 24 or 36 months, um, but they're also volatile. And so we wanna limit the amount of, of that in our portfolio because we're shooting for consistency. Um, we're not trying to knock the lights out, we're trying to be consistent through the business cycle. So right now our down capture is still less than one. So if the market goes down 1%, we should go down a little bit less than that. Um, and you see it in some of the names that we own. I mean, names like United Healthcare. If you close mm -hmm. your eyes and think about the market going down 10%, United Healthcare and healthcare services should, should be more defensive than that. So our down capture has actually remained um, quite resilient. September is a great example of that. The market was down, gosh, I think the market was down 5% and, and we gained 50 or 60 basis points in, in that month because of that good downside protection. And Netflix is, is a position, right, that, yeah. that you have now? Mm -hmm. Tell us about what, what you're thinking is on Netflix. Right, so um, you know we, we've talked about Netflix internally on the large cap growth team for five years and we've never liked this company. And we reversed course over the summer because um, the company has, has really improved the fundamentals. I think mm -hmm. um, Netflix has finally become profitable, firstly. Um, we still think that there's a long runway for growth um, in, in streaming video consumption. They're only about 35% penetrated globally. It may seem like everybody in the U.S. has it, right. but outside the U.S., um, still a lot of opportunity for, uh, for new subscribers. And, and the really neat thing about Netflix not that we had any indication that Squid Game was going to be a hit, but they're creating local content, which which is much less expensive. And if they can do that successfully, the returns are, are, are quite good. So I, I'm really excited about the improved return profile for this company over the next couple of years. I think it, I think it's going to be a good compounder for several years. So which bucket is that in? Is that in select or is that in the cyclical? Or? That, that one's actually in stable because of the- In stable? The, because okay. of the consistency of the subscription business. Uh huh. Sometimes we have de debates internally about whether does this one belong in stable, does it belong in cyclical, um, but, um, but, but we, we generally try to, um, try to be very consistent in terms of making sure that uh, the names are in the right place. Facebook. Yeah. Meta. <laughs> Meta. It's going to take me a while before I get used to that. <laughs> so, you know, what's your thinking about Facebook? I think for all of the mega cap companies, mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to separate the conversation into two parts. Number one is regulatory risk, headline risk, and number two is fundamentals. Okay. Um, because with Facebook, you, you can't really look at the fundamentals without acknowledging what you're reading in the newspapers and, right. and what you think might be the regulatory risk. So um, just in terms of the, the recent headlines for Facebook, no question they don't paint the company in a favorable light. They're really negative um, and possible. I don't think they're balanced quite honestly as a journalist, but they're negative. They're, right. they're quite negative. Yeah. Um, as we think about these issues, I, I think they're issues that the company has acknowledged are issues. Um, but when you look at the fact pattern of what they've done to try to address some of these issues, um, we think they are open to change. We, they've been asking for regulation for years 
because they want to understand the playbook of these decisions and, and they, they want to have guidance on how some of these decisions should be made. They, mm -hmm. They've spent $13 billion, it's hard to fathom, $13 billion on trying to ensure the safety of their ecosystem. They've got 40,000 people looking at content. They've just released a transparency report where they disclose the good and the bad about their platform and what they found. They have an independent oversight board who they go to when they don't know, should this content be, is it freedom of speech? Is it inappropriate? And that independent board will, will give advice on things like that. So, you know, I do think that there's more work to be done, no question, but I think that they are moving in the right direction. Now, if you look at the fundamentals and the, of the business and the cash flows of the business, it's clearly a good value. The, the company mm -hmm. is gonna to continue to grow revenue in the, de in the teens, and the valuation right now, um, I think has a lot of optionality for them, for, for further appreciation from here. So we've, we've continued to hold the position, um, but, but I, you know, I would say we're also continuing to have dialogue with the company about many of these issues and what they could do right. better. And, and the switch to meta, kind of this, you know, what, what, what Mark Zuckerberg says that he thinks is kind of the future um, well, t too early to tell exactly okay. what it's going to look like um, and what it could mean in terms of cash flows. They are going to spend quite a bit of it. Um, but, you know, we've, we've also let Google spend quite a bit of money on some of their projects that haven't yet created returns, as we right. have with Amazon. So, you know, with all of these companies, I think you want them to be investing in future businesses within reason. So um, it, it's so new. I think it's going to be several years before we have a great understanding of all of the business outshoots out, out of, um, of, of Meta and, and what it could mean for the company. What's your advice to us uh, as, uh, you know, as far as the, kind of the risk profile of, of owning these indexes, which are so tech and, uh, and infotech heavy? Yeah, I, I, I think you just have to be very aware. I think it's really uh -huh. easy to consider index funds as less risky and that's just not the case right mm -hmm. now. Um, and, and furthermore, the you know the large cap tech companies they are all a little bit different, but they also are very highly correlated. Yes, <laughs> they all right. have regulatory risk. They're all um, beneficiaries of digital transformation or growing consumption of the internet. So many of the same drivers are driving their businesses. So you just have to be careful because they're actually very, very concentrated. It's, it's kind of the opposite of what we preach. I think if there's, if there's one thing I've learned about investing, it is that um, concentration can be dangerous because there are always things that we are not expecting to happen that happen. Um, and, and if you have all of your eggs in one basket, that, that, becomes, um, that becomes very risky. Growth has had a phenomenal run as an asset class, growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, your fund, Clearbridge Large Cap Growth, has, has had a terrific run as well. What are you telling clients um, that, the, that the prospects are for the next five years versus the last five? Well, if you look back over the last 50 years, the S&P and the Russell 1000 Growth Index have been up about 12%. Um, the last three years have, for you know, 2018, right. 19, 20 has been 25. So, so right, I right, would right, say exactly. probably not <laughs> yeah. next five years. But I do think that there's, you know, the, the technology stocks, which is the key driver of the, the growth index, they are still good businesses. There, there is a reason that they have done so well. And I mm -hmm. don't think the conclusion should be, gosh, technology has had such a great run, sell all your technology and, and put it in something else. 
because the reality is that the pandemic, for better or for worse, pulled forward some some big trends, and right. those trends are decade long trends that will continue. Um, and so, you know, that digital transformation question that companies, it's, it's their top priority right now is figuring out how do they transform to the cloud and what are the security implications of that? That's continuing. Um, so so I think you you still want to have uh, some technology, some growth stocks, because mm -hmm. they're, they're good businesses. But I, I do think, especially at this point in the economic cycle, where we know we have tapering and interest rate increases on the horizon, um, you want to have diversification. So I think you need to have um, some industrial names in your portfolio. You need to have some reopening plays. You need to have things outside of, of just tech. Tech is kind of where the action's been. So of course, you know, as, as most investors, you know, we follow performance. So mm -hmm. where, where are you looking that you are excited about? What areas um, of tech, for instance, are you excited about that, that have, uh, you know, terrific growth potential? Security is one that, that uh -huh. I think is really interesting. I mean, the- C Cyber security or- Cyber security. Well, uh -huh. the security needs of a hybrid workforce are, uh -huh. are are growing exponentially. So I think all sorts of, you know, the fact that everybody is doing their work on their phone and on their computer and in the office mean that there are that many, the, the number of endpoints we have to protect is right. exploding. So security is an area that we've been spending quite a bit of time on. Um, are there companies that are in a leadership position that that you own or? Palo Alto is a company uh -huh. that we that we own that we think is 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 really interesting um, because they they have both on-premise security and cloud security. Um, another big trend that's that's outside of technology um, is electrification. And yes. it's not just electric vehicles, although uh -huh. that's certainly part of it. Um, you know, in in our view, we need to upgrade our our the infrastructure, the electrical infrastructure of of the U.S. and and outside the U.S. Right. It's about resiliency. I mean, look at Texas and California, but it's also about if you really believe Biden's goal of fifty percent of of cars in the U.S. sold being electric vehicles by twenty thirty. We need to upgrade our infrastructure to be able to handle that. Sure, um, charge them all. Yeah, exactly. So, so companies like Eaton, they make they make the power parts that help enable that. Um, I think are really interesting companies. And those, um, to your point about you know all the actions in in tech right now. Eaton is not a 30% grower. <laughs> mm -hmm. Eaton is a mid-single digit grower. But but the beauty of the Eaton business is that I think these mega trends, we'll be talking about them in 2028. Um, you know, they're really long trends that should that should give us line of sight to this company continuing to grow mid single mid single digits for for years. Another big trend is socially responsible investing, ESG, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I know that you know Clearbridge uh, really was an early uh, adopter of that kind of approach. So, talk to us about how you're applying ESG standards to your port your growth portfolios. Yeah. I, I have to give credit where credit's due because our analysts have have taken on this role of really being ESG ambassadors. Um, right. They're, they're experts in their sector on a fundamental basis, but also they've started assessing what are the most important issues for each sector. And so when they engage with companies, um, they will they will engage on those critical issues. So you know we were talking about Facebook earlier, and clearly. <laughs> Data privacy um, and, right. and and content and implications of what folks are seeing on social media and how that affects mental health are, are clearly topical. And so our analyst engages with the company with Facebook about 
what are you doing about these issues? How are you mm -hmm. attacking these issues? And so I think it's helped us, um, you know, have be have better conversations with the company. We have been doing ESG for, for years. Right. I think now we're in, um, I call it ESG 2.0, because we're, we're getting more sophisticated about how we talk to the companies. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, what are you doing to improve? We'll say, okay, well, can you quantify that? What mm -hmm. are your goals? How are you going to achieve those? Let's let's write down that 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 goal so that we can come back to you next year and and check your progress on that right. goal. And that's that's helping us benchmark companies, you know, one versus the other. It's helping us show company A how they can improve. Here's here's what a great company is doing. Peter Borbeau and I, who who manage right. the large cap growth strategy together, we tend to get involved on the compensation discussions because we feel strongly that. Management teams of companies should not be making outsized profits when shareholders are not making outsized returns. Um, the two should be correlated, um, and we feel strongly about that. And so we try to give feedback about uh, compensation practices that we think are acceptable and, and uh -huh. ones where we think there is room for improvement. So that would come under the governance yes. of, of the ESG. That's yep. correct. Yeah. And um, and <laughs> so do you two actually get involved in those discussions with the companies? CEOs, for instance, I mean, or how do you how do you do that, and how do those conversations generally go? Absolutely, we we do. Sometimes it'll yeah. be with um, the the board members who are on the compensation committee. Sometimes right. it'll be with the management teams um, themselves. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're trying to be fair, and I think it's our responsibility to think about our shareholders um, and and try to give appropriate feedback. So. The dialogues tend to be constructive. Mm -hmm. um, it's not uncommon at all for us to give feedback on a certain practice where we see room for improvement. And the following year, the company will come back and say, we took your and other shareholders' advice into consideration, and here's how we've changed a certain right. practice. So um, that, that's a good dialogue to have. People think of tech as being clean. And in fact, you know, we have discovered uh, that that many of these tech companies have uh, you know, very you know high water use, high energy mm -hmm. use. How is that affecting your views of of their uh, ESG types of practices? Well, that's that's one of the considerations that we're engaging with the companies on. I mean, we were we were talking about Eaton before, and one of the things that their products will help enable is if if um, a certain company's data center uses solar power to power the data center, but they have extra energy, they right. can send it back to the utility and Eaton will help uh, facilitate that. But using, using you know, solar power to, to power data centers um, is one of the ways that companies are lowering the usage of data centers. And we engage with them on all of those issues. But, but when I was mentioning um, ESG 2.0, it's about quantifying. You know, every company will say, oh yeah, we're, we're working on that. But the question is, how, mu how much are you working on that? Right. How much are you going to reduce power usage? What are your goals? So that we can then come back to them and say, hey, you know, you said you were going to reduce power usage by X percent. How are you doing on that? Um, so I think it's really about talking to them and engaging with them and having conversations about those issues and then setting the goals. And then that helps keep us all together in terms of tracking their progress over time. Right. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would you have all of us own some of? Right. Um, I remember last time I was here, we talked about Visa, and I, I Which still- Which did incredibly well. I still like Visa. Um, yep. it, is, it is a good compounder. Um, they have a great business model. Um, they have very good returns. It, it hasn't performed 
as well as some other technology names uh -huh. since COVID began, um, because a, a profitable part of their business is cross-border payments. So, um, so people traveling to a different country and spending over there. That will happen over time. So, you know, I, I still think that is a good quality compounder. The other one is Eaton. I think Eaton is, is a really good quality compounder with duration. I think that those secular trends of electrification and investing in our electrical infrastructure, um, they're, they're not necessarily dependent on an infrastructure bill. They're not necessarily dependent on GDP growth accelerating. Um, they're just secular trends that I think um, give you line of sight to good basic digit growth there. Two really interesting ideas. Margaret Vitrano, thanks so much for joining us once again. Thank you. At the close of every wealth check, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is reassess your exposure to the mega cap tech stocks. As an individual, you are not hampered by comparisons to any index. You are free to own any stock in any size position that you want. But after a decade of spectacular outperformance, your FANG positions plus Microsoft are probably sizable. Finding out what your total exposure to these stocks is in index funds and mutual funds might be an eye-opener. You can decide from there if those holdings need to be trimmed or not from both a diversification and personal comfort level point of view. In this week's extra feature, Margaret Fratrano shares the permanent changes she has made in her personal and professional life because of COVID. In the meantime, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching, have a great weekend, and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.